All right. And we are good to go. What's going on, everyone? Coach Damien here, The Shift Method. And like I said, I'm trying to make more frequent content for all of you. And this is going to be a really cool episode because this is someone that I trained alongside with. I mentored and had the privilege of coaching for a little bit. And he's also a terrific friend who's doing some amazing things in the fields of fitness and health, which we're going to talk all about. And that is my good man, Chris Noel. Chris, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Hello, everyone. Chris here. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell the people a little about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Come on now. Don't get shy on me. <laughs> so originally from Haiti, I moved from Haiti to the States after the earthquake in 2010. Then did high school, then did my under, well, my associates at Miami-Dade, and then transferred to FAU where I met Damien at Campus Rec. That's right. I thought it was a little intimidating at first because I just saw him as someone who knew so much, but he's probably the most, you know, humble guy and very willing to teach. Um, I think our friendship grew the most through the um, mentorship program during the Campus Rec personal training, um, ACE fitness course. So, That's right. That was a lot of fun yeah. back then, man. And yeah. I appreciate all the comments, but to be fair, I didn't know a damn <laughs> thing back then. Um, a lot of a lot of views on stuff fitness wise have changed um, since we last talked around. And you've seen people who follow me. You know a lot of content I produce about yeah. views on pain and injury, which we'll talk a little bit about injury today in some sport context. But you know, it, really good. You know, having mentorship with people and working together with other trainers and always picking each other's brains. So Chris has, I don't want to say unique background because it's not like no one's ever heard of it, but I think when it comes to exercise science, like there's usually a few majors that everyone talks about, right? There's the physical therapy, there's strength and conditioning, there's personal training. And then there's like the research side. You don't hear too much about occupational therapy. It doesn't really get much yeah. love. So Chris, can you kind of just, you know, for those who might not know, or just kind of like a, a brief overview, like what the heck is occupational therapy exactly? All right. So I can explain this honestly in two ways. So the first one is what we call like an elevator speech, where if you have two minutes to 30, you know, one minute and 30 seconds to tell someone what you do for a living, then like, how would it be? So mm -hmm. in that sense, occupational therapy is basically um, just a re rehabilitation um, um, job, I guess. And what we do is we help people gain independence after a traumatic event, let's say like a stroke or um, an MVA, like a motor vehicle accident, or just people who just need rehabilitation to gain independence and what we call occupations, which are um, like things that are meaningful to you, like drinking a cup of coffee in the morning or riding a bike, just anything that is meaningful to you. So no, pretty much, yeah, rehab, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very noble work, man. Uh, a lot yeah. of patience, a lot of, you know, what we might take for granted are activities of daily living, right? Uh, that yeah. people, it's like, there oh, I go. just, I get to, you know, for those watching, I get to just drink this cup of water. I get to tie yeah. my shoelaces, you know, yeah. the things that we take for granted every day, understandably so, right? We just assume that we can do them. Uh, yeah. For some people, it's not so obvious. Now, to maybe certain people that, and even when I remember first learning about occupational therapy back in a intro way back in Borm's class, there's some similarities between you guys and physical therapists, right? Right. Yeah. What would you say so, is kind of like the major distinctions? 
Honestly, so um, when it comes to physical therapy, and I don't want to say the wrong thing because there's a <laughs> there's that fine line that you don't cross. But right. honestly, um, physical therapists I would say follow more of the biomechanical model, where it's more rehabilitation um, pertaining to movement. You know, like um, strengthening the biceps muscles so that you can do elbow flexion or biceps curl. Where occupational therapy comes into play, it's more well, okay, you can do the elbow flexion, but how do you make that work functionally to grasp your toothbrush and brush your teeth. How do you uh, put see. that into function so that you can grab a cup and, you know, drink the cup. So the PTs kind of, you know, work to get you moving again, but we work to get, to give your movement meaning, you know, as far as buying it to function. So all the PTs out there, I'm not throwing shots. <laughs> I'm not dissing any of you, but it's, it's pretty much, that's the fine line that I see clinically, but honestly, um, Rehabilitation is a rehabilitation, honestly. There shouldn't be this line that's crossed or that's not crossed. You know, if we help someone gain their independence, however we do it, I think it's up to your discretion as a clinician. And of course, take, stick into your scope of practice, but there shouldn't be PT, you do this, OT, you do that. It's more, how do we work collectively? Or you have more knowledge here, more experience than you take that patient. Or, of yeah, course. It's, it's, yeah. It's, We're all, we all have the same that. goal, right? As we're trying to help yeah. the patient or the client, whoever. Um, but yeah. I like that explanation. It's, you know, you go to physical therapy because you tore your ACL. Maybe you're trying to get back to sport or you're just trying to get back into working out versus I go to occupational therapy where, like you said, I'm trying to learn how to do the motor pattern or reconfigure my, my mind and my body right. to do this particular task. So it's right. kind of like a, like a task or life oriented rehabilitation process. Yeah. There's very, a super cool. funny quote that um, I, I see all the time. It's, you know, PT helps you again, not throwing shots because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious, but it's like PT helps you, you know, be able to stand up again, but OT helps you put your dancing shoes on and dance again. Mm. So it's, that describes it perfectly in my opinion. I like that. I like that. Is that going to be a quote that you're hanging up in your clinic one day for everyone to see? Man, put your <laughs> dancing shoes on and dance again. Absolutely. That's right. Very, very cool, man. Now, within within occupational therapy, do you guys have like certain, is there specialties like this one specialized in hands, this one specialized in cognition? Are there different areas? And if so, like which one kind of interests you? Yeah. Um, OT is broad, man. Um, I've seen so we have our hand specialists, um, which are the OTs that really focus on upper extremity um, rehabilitation. So you'll see those in more of your outpatient clinics, mostly that work with athletes or um, they work with surgeons to help someone gain their function after surgery. And for that, you need your CHT. That's, that's really um, the, I guess, the higher tier of education when it comes to occupational therapy. But um, yeah, we, we have OTs in skilled nursing facilities or um, just typical rehab um, outpatient settings. But for me, I, I do have background in exercise science, which I don't want to let that go to waste. So ideally not. a perfect combination between rehabilitation, using fitness as a means to, you know, merge the, the two of them, because, you know, they, the overlap is not that, you know, wide. It's, it's very um, like they both can work together. So ideally, a place where I can do neuro rehab and include fitness and that meaning um, functional exercises to help, you know, the individual regain their function. Um, yeah, I, I like that. Therapy. Yeah. I, I like that you're still keeping true to the personal training roots because 
I think that's extremely important. Like I talked about with Morgan, who's a mutual friend of ours, right? Not everyone who goes into these certain fields, like physical therapy has a pure exercise background, has a pure personal training or strength conditioning background. Yeah. So, so I think having that, whether you go into nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, I think that gives you kind of a unique leg up because you have such a great, you know, background in movement and understanding muscle groups and, you know, joint mechanics and all of that and program design and energy systems, all those things, which are still going to be important to rehabilitation process. And we just see movement differently, you know, even when it comes to, you know, going back to the brushing teeth or, you know, holding up a cup, the average therapist could just see the arm, but we see the trunk posture. We see the, you know, are your scaps attracted and, you know, is your, um, like glenar humor rhythm, is it, you know, functional enough for you to be able to, to do that and protecting yourself with your body mechanics. I'm a tall guy, so working with, you know, smaller patients, it's, it's horrible, but my PT background helps me, okay, I need to brace here and bend my knees more and, you know, keep my scaps retracted and, you know, protract here. So it's, it's, you, you, you think more about movement, like throughout the whole session of your whole career that way, you know, it's, yeah. Now, do you incorporate some of your personal training or your, your program design into when you work with clients at your internship, or do you kind of separate those two worlds? So it depends on the client. Um, if, if they're advanced enough to handle that, then I do. But if, they, if, if they're not, I, I, I don't push for that. But the same mind, um, I, I use the same mindset, for example, with programming for clients, it's I do try to, you know, follow some kind of periodization when it's like before we get to, again, picking up a cup, let's try with, you know, elbow flexion with gravity eliminated or in then progressing that. So I don't necessarily include exercise in everything, but if it's a patient that can handle it, then I do. And gotcha. that's, um, yeah, where I'm doing my internship now, that's actually um, what she wants, my CI. So she's like, hey, if you can push for exercise, then push for it because that's, that's what we do here, you know? And that's the ultimate goal, right? Of course, give them back their daily activities, right? Give them back their autonomy to be able to do the things that they love or just, you know, to feel normal again, for lack of a better phrase. Um, But then being active and all the benefits that come with that, everyone can benefit from being active, you know, despite your disability or, you know, thing that you might be dealing with. So, hey, once we get you to a point where you're proficient in doing your daily tasks, let's get you moving and doing some stuff. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I love that. I love that combination yeah. and there's no barrier or the, the barrier is very light because it goes straight through you. Right. It's mm-hmm. occupational therapy, getting better uh, activities, daily living. And now if they want to, or need to, they can work with you from the personal training standpoint. So yeah. I really, really like that, man. Yeah. It's awesome. Now, why did you want to become an occupational therapist? I don't know if this is a conversation we've ever had before. I have, I have yeah. a feeling why, but I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I actually did not want to, like, I, I had no idea, to be honest. I, I think I was within my first year at FAU and still trying to figure that out. But so what got me into rehabilitation um, in the first place was my dad. He um, had a stroke and mm-hmm. I got to see him go through the rehab, the whole process. So PT, OT, speech. So I got to see those professionals work with him and that kind of narrowed down what I wanted to do because I was very you know, close to my dad and I saw that that's a field where you really can make a difference where it matters 
Um, not that you know you can't make a difference elsewhere, but for me that was very it, it hit very close to home. Of course. So I, after my dad ended up passing away, I um, I I narrowed it down to PT or OT because for me, being you know a previously being a, an athlete and being an exercise science, it was more you know relevant as to what I was actually learning. So I felt like it would translate better into either of those two, and then. Between PT and OT, it was more like, well, as a personal trainer, I get, you know, the biomechanical side of it already. And again, PT is way more advanced. They, they do mm -hmm. a lot of cool stuff, not to give them their credit. I think a really good PT is so necessary. But for me, OT was more, more functional and more, I guess, more... I don't want to say relevant because that's again, it, it, it was just more. Um, By the end of this, we'll just have a, a line of PTs and Chris's DM be like, what are you saying? But no, I'm just kidding. But no, you're doing fine. <laughs> no, I would not be surprised. Yeah, but for me, OT was just more meaningful, you know? Of course. Because you, you, you get so much face time with the clients and to be there with someone at their lowest point and having them relearn how to, you know, clean themselves after using the bathroom for the first time. It's a very low moment for individuals yeah. to be there to reshape that and to say, hey, it's okay, you know, you will get better and to see them make that progress. For me, that was very, it was just more, I think it fit my personality too. Like, I think I'm someone who enjoys helping people. And when I, when people are at their lowest, I, I like to be at that point with them and help them, you know, get to the, you know, peak of their, I guess, life at that point. But yeah, OT was just more meaningful, and I just felt like it, I could have a better impact where my skill set would just be complementary to what I learned in occupational therapy. So it was more like, yeah, that's yeah. That's I what always did it for me. I like I kind of mentioned in the beginning. I of course have zero experience in occupational therapy, but just <laughs> trying my best to conceptualize what it'd be like. One, the the, the patients that both yeah. sides have to have, right? The client. Or, or, you know, the patient has to have, you know, of like, they're the ones going through this difficult thing. And then you as the therapist trying your best to help them and, and help guide them to be autonomous. And it's like, you know, I'm sure that, you know, the process, the, the process of progress is never a straight line, right? Yeah. There's highs, there's lows, there's times where nothing moves and it's got to, but man, when you have some success, just like when your client, like, you know, is losing weight and feeling confident about themselves or they hit yeah. a PR on an exercise. That's amazing. But something like that, I imagine is extraordinarily rewarding for both, oh, yeah. for both parties. So I can only imagine how good that feeling is. So, yeah. and you're, you're right. You're, you're a great guy. For those who don't know, Chris, if you ever see him for the first time, guys about six, three, you know, <laughs> big guy. Um, and you're like, who is this? But he's a gentle giant. He's a funny guy too. Don't let him fool you with how humble oh, he is. He's man. got jokes for days, no. man. He's got jokes <laughs> for days. We'll make it come out. But yeah. And, and of course the touching, you know, story about your father and like, you know, it's, yeah. it's important to you and it's important because it's like, this is something that has directly impacted my life and I want to give yeah. back. So yeah. really, really awesome. That that's something that you want to work on then. So big shout out to you. Now, yeah. if you, because like I mentioned, I feel like OT doesn't get as much love as the other, professions, professions in exercise science. Um, I don't know why it's maybe just the, the popularity just happens to be in physical therapy and personal training. Um, 
Can you give any like guidance for those who might be interested in person, uh, occupational therapy, like, you know, coursework considerations, uh, internship considerations, like, should you do them? Where should you consider doing them like a clinic versus out? Like, what are some good advice pieces that you can give to any young students? Yeah. The first thing is if you're looking to get rich, this is not the field for you. (laughs) (laughs) You will not get rich doing this at all. And what do you mean? You're a married man. You got your girl ring. You're <laughs> in your own place now. Come on, Chris. Tell me, rolling in it? No, man. Not at all. <laughs> it's yeah, not at all. Man. <laughs> I, I just I haven't. You know, so I have my little stuff on the side, you know. But of course, of course. no one important is watching this. That's with <laughs> the law. <laughs> but um, yeah, the first thing was I would say besides not expecting to be you know rich off of this is personality type. If you're someone who would rather be in a lab somewhere or does not have really have the patience to be one-on-one for eight to nine hours, maybe 10, sometimes 12 in a day to work with people face-to-face, don't get into this because that's pretty much 90% of it. Um, If you're someone who does not do well with rejection, OT is not the field because it's like the patients get very rowdy, the patients get very, because you're dealing with people who are dealing with a new reality and mm-hmm. they don't know how to process that. So people will cuss at you and just refuse your treatment because they don't feel like they need you, you know? So you also work with patients who have like cognitive impairments too, right? Absolutely. Which yeah. that is challenging in of itself. Yeah. The, 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 the psychosocial part of it is something that I had to get adjusted mm-hmm. to because coming from exercise science, PT, the body was like my thing, but mm-hmm. the mind was, it, the mind was slower for me to, to, to grasp. So um, I'm still making progress, but it's, it's, it's difficult for sure. Psychosocial um, is, is everything, man. It's, yes, it's of course, biology is extremely important, but mm-hmm. that's one thing that I've really dived into these last couple of years is how much environment, culture, beliefs, mm-hmm. family, friends, you know, the things that we're told as children and continue to be told as adults, how that shapes a person. It's, yeah, it's wild. And I won't get on that tangent. That might be a a convo (laughs) for another time, but it is quite crazy. Yeah. And as far as the academic portion of it, um, usually most OT students, or I I could even say PT, um, they have some sort of background in either psychology or exercise science, recreational therapy, um, because I would, yeah, like as you're doing your PT or your exercise science, when you learn about patient um, interactions, when you learn about programming, it doesn't really change with OT or PT because you're still dealing with someone that you have to program for technically, you have to progress them. You're dealing with billing, which is pretty much the same thing as, you know, doing sessions when you're doing the financial portion of it. Um, having a background in, um, just some sort of personal training helps a, a ton. It makes the job like halfway easier, to be honest. Um, yeah, very big on biomechanics, kinesiology, um, a lot of biology for sure. Um, a lot of neuro. Neuro is really, really, really huge in the rehabilitation world. Um, make sure you have a good base in neuro. And yeah, to be honest, it's the academic portion is probably the easiest part of it, but the personality is where it really comes into play because you can be, you can, you can have the highest IQ mm-hmm. and your EQ just takes you out of the game, you know, from the interview to the 
job from the grad school interview to the job interview if you don't have that personality then you will you'll have a really hard time to fit in you know with the cohort with the patients it's yeah the personality is a big 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 portion of it to be honest but i like that you mentioned that because yeah. of course you're gonna find outliers in every field but you know playing to your strengths you know when yeah. it comes to jobs is extraordinarily important it's going to make you happier it's going to make you a better worker it's going to make you feel like you're having more meaning in your job right if you are a high bubbly energetic person the lab setting may not be the best place to start it's yeah. possible you could be a very bubbly outgoing you know people person and you know do well in a lab maybe you do you know maybe you work with gathering people for cohorts, whatever it may be. But I would probably, you know, err on the side of you would do better in like a group fitness setting or in like a campus recreation setting where you're around people and mentoring and developing versus if you like more so numbers research and you like doing deep dives in the thing, maybe the laboratory setting is for you. Uh, so it's important to play to your personality and your strengths and then try and see what might stick from there. So really, really good point to make, man. Absolutely. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here, right? So you you painted this narrative that you're like this, you know, loving, caring, compassionate person. But I think it's time to come clean, Chris. We got to let the people know you're a rugby player. Oh, man. Dude. (laughs) Yeah. um, And to give some background. So Chris and I, I... (laughs) I should rephrase. I air quote tried rugby for like three weeks to a month. I went to a few practices. Holy crap. It's a crazy game. Yeah. And y'all are crazy. All right. And I mean that, I mean that in the best sense of the word crazy, man. I love the few interactions I've been around rugby players. I love them. I've never met kinder, more competitive more driven people. The closest I can get to is probably a wrestler in terms of like mentality and like respect for the game. Like you guys are absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, hardworking athletes and just a pleasure to be around, dude. But yeah, can you kind of like go into your background as an athlete and then primarily as a rugby player? Because rugby is not the most popular thing in South Florida. We're like a basketball, football (laughs) kind of area in the state so mm-hmm. how'd you get into rugby yeah man so starting out in, in high school so after i first moved from haiti what i knew was soccer basketball and volleyball and mind you, i was this five 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 six kid who was really chubby so <laughs> soccer was not going to work because I, I i didn't pass the eye test so soccer was out of the question um volleyball was again i was five five about <laughs> 170 180 and that was not going to work for me at all so there was only basketball and football because I, I was introduced to football and i can't dribble the ball to save my life so basketball was a big no <laughs> so it was football so I, I played football in high school from ninth to 12th grade pretty much all high school and i got pretty decent i, I, I wouldn't say that i was a star player or anything but i was really good at my role um, what were you remind me were you tight end what, what position did you play so primarily i played defensive end and defensive i filled end. in on the o-line if i was needed um i played some yeah pretty much d end and some o-line gotcha. my dream is to play tight end though i think i, I have the build of a tight end and the hands <laughs> but 
I guess Michael didn't think so. <laughs> and then uh, I didn't get any serious scholarship offers out of high school. I had like one from middle Tennessee and then the rest were like D3s and JUCOs and coming from my background financially, it just didn't make sense. So I decided to, you know, do the community college route and then transfer to a four year where I could get my bachelor's and, you know, laugh at the sports. So right. here comes FAU and Campus Rec, which is where I met Dylan. Um, yes, Dylan. Dylan. So we did our interview together. We got trained together in Campus Rec. And he was like, hey, man, you look like an athlete. Did you play sports? I was like, yeah, I played football in high school, you know, but I'm just laying alone now, working out, doing my thing. And he was like, you should try rugby. And, you know, me, you, you know me, Damien. I'm just like this very silly guy. So it's just like, are you sure you want to try this, man? Because like, I don't think you have the personality for it. And I was like, I'll just try it, man. You know, I just like to have a good time. I'm, I like to make people laugh. I like to laugh. Why not? So I went to practice and I enjoyed it, man. It was pretty much as physical as football, if not more. But yeah. everyone got to carry the ball, which, which was amazing to me because every lineman thinks they're running back for some reason. <laughs> so I was like, I'm a big boy and I get to run the ball and, you know, shake and bake and juke. Yeah, absolutely. I'm coming back. <laughs> the, the coach encouraged me to come back and I just learned the game more. Then I think after my first real game, I fell in love, man. It was against FSU and it was a really close game. Um, well, in the first half, then we got blown out. But it's, I just fell in love with the physicality of the game, the mental aspect, because most people think it's just that you run and hit each other, then you do the big scrum where all the guys are in together. It's like, no, there's actually... It's that like game chess. is so damn complicated. It is chess yes. on steroids, dude. That game is so damn yes. complicated. So I just became fascinated with the whole aspect, with the mental aspect, the physical aspect of it. And it was as long as a soccer game. So the athletes, to play rugby, you have to be in extremely great shape. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even joking. It's, you have to be in great shape because you have to be able to last for 45 minute halves and just having like a 20, 15 minute half um, halftime break and then bouncing right back. You can't afford to not be on your A game because you either will get run over, you will get hurt or you'll just get taken out because you're doing horrible. So, yeah, like I just fell in love with, with, with the game, man. It, it had everything that I wanted out of a sport. I got to guess my highlights big hits and be part of a team you know a collective team then yeah it just had everything yeah i i remember just watching a few games i think i went to watch one of your games with tony uh Mm -hmm. one time and one thing i really i I like watching football actually quite a bit but i will admit there's a lot of downtime between plays rugby kind of it's the game's always kind of in motion in some way or another there there are times depending on if you're doing you know sevens or fifteens if you know, where you are on the field, you might not be as active, but yeah. some part of the field is always active almost all the time. So there's always kind of something to watch, which is really fun. Um, it, it's a lot like soccer in that regard, where like the ball is yeah. always in motion. The team's always in motion. They're always trying to get better position or, or inbound a pass, right? So there's always something going on, which is really, really fun to watch. Um, for those of us who don't know, it'll be a good refresher to me, because even if I read it 50 times, I still forget the damn rules. <laughs> Can you kind of just go over like the brief rules of the game and you can make distinctions between 15s or sevens, however you want to do it, bud. Yeah, of course. So um, let's start with 15s. 15s, basically you have 15 aside. 
and you have your forwards and, and, and your backs. So your forwards in football terms would be your linemen and the backs are your skill players, the faster, smaller guys who, whose job is to just run and get the ball as far as you can downfield. The forwards are pretty much just smashing, you know, your smash and run game. You pass it to the forwards if you need some quick gains to spread the field even a little bit. Um, you pretty much, when you score, it's called a try and you get six points. And then you have an extra kick, a field goal, which is um, one extra point. But you can also get a three-point kick if you don't manage to score a try and you want to, you do want to get some quick points pretty, pretty, pretty much. Um, as far as tackling goes, you cannot tackle someone above the like if it's up here, it's a pe it's a pe penalty. You can get a yellow or a red card, which is where the soccer aspect comes into it a little bit. Um, when the ball goes out of bounds, you have to do a line out, which is um, you you can lose possession that way. You can gain possession depending on what team goes out. Um, a line out is basically you throw the ball in, like soccer when they do a throw in, and uh, you have. A guy that's jumping. That was the, the craziest thing. I, I couldn't then, believe that was real when I saw it. I'm like, oh, they're really hoisting someone over their head. Okay, yeah. that's happening. Cool. <laughs> we have gymnastics and then soccer and then football. So and wrestling. It's, it's everything, man. <laughs> yeah. And then my favorite part is the scrum. The scrum is, let's say, if someone knocks, knocks the ball on. Oh, yeah, you have to pass the ball backwards. You can't pass it forward. So backwards and sideways. Um, yeah, so let's say someone drops the ball and it falls forward. That's called a knock-on. Then you get to do a scrum, which is basically um, when the forwards, so the first eight, so numbers one through eight, get to basically, they all, you know, we all bind up together. And we kind of like, like the stereotypical thing you see when you think rugby, it's like everyone just right. huddled in and just like, you know, bumping into each other. Yeah, I think I think they had like a scrum in the Friends episode when, and then that's how everyone sees rugby <laughs> as Rock that's it. That's all they do <laughs> for 80 minutes, just like that. <laughs> right. So that's where the big boys get to flex their muscles, you know, show their power. And the team that has the, if you can win the scrums, you will win the game because that's about eight, a good 50% of the game can be scrums. If you have, if it's like a rainy game, if it's a, where it's just a rainy day where nobody's catching the ball, then scrums are going to be really big that day. So if you have a good scrum, then you will probably win, uh, win the game. Um, yeah, so as far as sevens, sevens is more like seven on seven, comparing it to football. You have, it, it's a much shorter game. I think you have seven minute halves. Mm -hmm. And uh, you basically have to, it's seven guys on the field. So you have your fastest players, your most fit players, your strongest players. Um, and the goal is to just get as many points as you can in seven minutes. Yeah, um, and both halves, and it's it's intense, man. My first seventh game, I think I I was in horrible shape, and that first kickoff, I chased the ball so far out, and it was like one minute into the game, and the, when it was time for like five minutes to really get into you know game mode and score some tries, I was walking. I could not <laughs> breathe. It's so fast paced. It's 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 intense. Yeah, from the little so, reading yeah, I did, sevens and fifteens is like um. The, the sport is the same, but like in terms of the way yeah. you move, it's, it's very different. It's night and day. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you primarily only played 15s, right? Primarily 15s, but I was one of those forwards who I, I'm, I had the strength of a forward, but I, I was mobile enough and fast enough to be a back. So I kind of had like that, you know, the outside linebacker, you know, mm -hmm. they can be a, a backer. They can be a D lineman if they want to. 
and that's why you were number eight right that's that's why your position was the utility man right basically kind of doing a little bit of everything which was really really cool when we were Mm. programming together because your job i remember sitting down talking to you it's like there's different positions the name there's there's locks and props all and then your position Mm. is you know the eight or eight and it's like description everything so it's a very (laughs) very challenging position because you literally do you can score try you're on defense you're you know in the scrum you've got to be fast and strong so mm-hmm. it's a tough position man but you did it very well the grown man position grown man position yeah. no little man only big man here <laughs> good stuff dude so all right so that's the basic rules of that thank you for outlining that and again i'm gonna forget it by the time this podcast <laughs> is over because chris really only just kind of scratched the surface too there's a lot of like small nuances and technicalities. And like you said, it is like chess in terms of passing the ball and various formations you can do. And the game is always moving. There's not much time to necessarily like think and draw up a play. It's like you're having to react all the time, change the possession all the time. So really intense, really fun. And just like controlled chaos kind of game. Yeah. Um, It was cool because, so I got to program for you a little bit and I, Correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm remembering this correctly, we had just started and like a week or two in because you were either in season or in, I think you were in season or playing a scrimmage, maybe mm-hmm. preseason, but you had like a little hammy pull, right? Yeah. So I kind of mm-hmm. outlined, you know, what, what happened and then like how we kind of walk through your, your process of training. Yeah, man. Yeah. That, that hamstring pull was all my fault, man. It's- <laughs> We we were playing a team that would that came from I forgot where they it was more in North Florida like a North Florida team and we were just blowing them out of the park and I started showboating so I got this super <laughs> long break and I'm at the end zone so I turned back and look at the guy that that I was just smoking past and I try to do a Deion Sanders high step <laughs> and then and it's on film you can see me just walking like running stepping and then limping to the oh, end zone man. So, the try zone yeah so after showboating i pulled my hamstring <laughs> and it was just horrible after that so um i remember like it was just painful to walk to class man i would be at, at school just limping around and i remember i remember yeah. talking to you in the pt in the pt room we had at the time and you're like dude just like <laughs> sitting down's annoying because yours was a high hamstring right it was kind of like in mm-hmm. like in the groin like high hip crease area and yeah. i've had I've never got it officially diagnosed, but I definitely had some kind of hamstring. I don't know if it was a tendinopathy or like a strain, but they hurt, man. Just, just like moving, just like extending your leg to walk. It's like, really, that's going to bother it. And especially when you're an athlete, you're like, if I'm having trouble walking, like what the hell am I going to do? Right. And uh, yeah, extremely painful too. It doesn't seem to like not much you can do other than like lay on your stomach. And even then it's like, I can't do this forever. So it's like a constant Charlie horse that never goes oh, away. God. Yeah. yeah. But I'd say overall, we, we got you back pretty good, man. Now Absolutely. were you, were, remind me, you were, so you were in season while this is happening, right? Yeah. So that was like, um, or kind of mid season preseason game. So there's two seasons, there's the fall and the spring. So mm-hmm. it was right after fall season. We had one game and then spring season started like a couple of weeks after that. Gotcha. And so I remember when we were doing your training, first thing was like, and this is when I started getting into a little bit more of the pain science research and the, and the load management and changing program design. I was like, Hey man, like, we're going to get you back. We're going to try some things. 
and we're going to see what happens, right? We're kind of, you know, both trying some new things. And overall, I'd say worked pretty damn well. I remember it was starting with walks on the curve. Yeah, It started, you know, just like, hey, let's walk. Let's get some attention to the area. Let's get some movement in the area. Let's recognize that, yes, this is hurting, but we're not going to exaggerate you know, exaggerate the symptoms, but it's okay that we're having a little bit of pain right now because you did have some kind of injury of some sort. And then we started with body weight squats, PVC deadlifts, man. That's where we went. And then fast forward, like within, I want to say it was like eight to 10 weeks, you were squatting like, you know, almost below parallel. Like I think we had you doing 405, close to 405 on the squat. Yeah, You were sprinting like close to 20 miles per hour on the curve. Yeah. You were doing it all and you were deadlifting and you had no pain. Yeah. So that was, that was a really cool experience for me as, as coaching, but also seeing you like as an athlete, like going from, I can't walk to class without, you know, having a flare up versus, oh yeah, I'm just casually hitting, you know, 20 miles per hour on the curve yeah. and squatting for 400 pounds. Yeah. That was pretty dope. What was that? What is that? process like for you as an athlete going from that stage where you felt like man like i can't do anything and then within a couple months like holy crap like i'm back to where i am or maybe even in some aspects you know feel like my game is getting better what'd that feel like yeah man honestly the 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 beginning stages were it was so annoying man to be Mm -hmm. honest the PVC deadlifts and bodyweight squats. I was just like, what am I doing here, Damien? Like, <laughs> I know we talked about where I'm going to be in eight to nine weeks, but this is just like, this is, I, I, mentally, it just wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And even going to practice afterwards, I, I, I would want to participate, but I couldn't because like we, we talked about, hey, you need to, you know, play the long game here. Don't just rush mm-hmm. set yourself back two more months. But as soon as we crossed that threshold from walking to light jogging then to sprinting, just my confidence got so much better. And within that was my first time really trying, you know, a, a, like real programming for athletics. Mm-hmm. Aside from high school, you know, you should play high school sports. It's just get in the weight room, do five, five by five and <laughs> as much as you can, then you yep. go play, you know. Yeah, but that was very tailored to me and to my position, to, to my skill set, to what I needed to improve on and more. So like after that program was done, I got so much better on the field. I got much faster, stronger. Like the game started to slow down. Well, because nice. I, I was also learning more about the game, but I could keep up physically. Mm-hmm. And I remember the game you came to watch was against, I think it was a semi-pro team from it was either England or Africa. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Somewhere, yeah. From Australia, yeah. Yes. I still have that crazy Australia. And I was keeping up with these guys from mm-hmm. where rugby is king. And I was just like, man, like, I should probably take this more seriously as far as, you know, the programming side of it. So yeah. just an encouragement to all athletes out there, man, like, really get with someone who can help you. Don't just go on YouTube and, you know, follow the guy that, you know, is training his own regimen. Like get someone who knows what they're doing, who has the education and who's willing to invest that time in you. And like, I wasn't paying Damien for this, but I should have been because like what I got out of it was worth more than like, honestly, what I gave back, you know? So it's- You don't owe me a dime, bro. That was for you. <laughs> the, um, the thing that I really took away from that 
and that I really liked is, is a couple of things. Number one, just the athletic mindset is generally different from the general public, right? So my pain and injury approach with people is usually the same. It's just, you have to tailor it different, right? When people, and, and not to say that all athletes are like this, because sometimes, you know, people, regardless of athletic performance are understandably frustrated and scared to return to sport. It's yeah. like, Hey, I'm in a lot of pain. Um, my sport isn't forever, or I really want to get back, but I'm worried about being hurt even more. And so that thought in their head is scary, but most athletes like Chris, they're itching to get back. It's more so a frustration of why can't I do this? Why is these silly quote unquote, stupid, easy things, yeah. although occupational therapy might say something different, right? Yeah. But these easy daily activities, why is it so hard? Why is it painful? And what I took away from that is know your client. So athlete, you still want them to move. The last thing you want to do is stop people from moving unless you have some major red flags, right? You know, yeah. loss of sensation, an actual like dislocation or like changing color of the mm -hmm. skin where they might've actually like seriously pulled or like damaged something um, or loss of like or certain organ function. Like those are like, whoa, like, Hey, let's get this checked out by a professional immediately. But once we kind of got those red flags out of the way, I was like, Chris, like, listen, man, it's going to be frustrating, but we're not telling you to rest 100%. You're just going to do the things you were normally doing. Just we're going to do them in a manner that you can handle and tolerate. Even if it's a little bit painful, we're just not going to exaggerate your symptoms. So when you were doing rugby, you were still doing your squats. You were still doing your deadlifts, even though they might've started with PVC. We had you on the curve. We started you walking. We had you do a trot. We had you do a light jog and eventually got you to sprints. So it's kind of the term load management, right? Finding out what is an appropriate progression and regression for your client or athlete at the time, giving that to them so they don't exaggerate symptoms and then gradually ramping it up over time. That's key. With the general public, I find, again, not always, but you know, pain is something we tend to avoid because we think, Pain automatically equals tissue damage. Tissue damage automatically equals bad. Bad automatically means it's going to ruin me for the rest of my life. Mm. I'm here to tell you right now, that is not always the case. In fact, I would argue, except for some exceptions to the rule, like traumatic experience or traumatic injuries, it is rarely the case. Pain is a very complicated thing. And the last thing you want to do is stop being active. That is the last thing you want to do. You want to find ways to be active, find ways to get in your resistance training, your cardiovascular training that again, same rules, won't exaggerate your symptoms, doesn't flare up anything too crazily. And that the big thing is that you enjoy doing, and that's helping you progress over time towards your goal. And then before you know it, and you will have, you know, crappy days and better days, but over time, your progress is going to go up. The pain is going to go down. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get faster, whatever your goal is, you're going to achieve it. So mm -hmm. take it from Chris, whether it's from me talking about the research I know, or you want an anecdotal experience, there you have it. So yeah. pain and injury can be a scary thing, but you find the right coach. It doesn't have to be. They'll help you through. Absolutely. Kind of the last thing I want to talk about specifically about your rugby experience, Chris, is the South Florida rugby football club. So is this a club that you're currently participating with? Yes. Yeah, so 
something that you mentioned um, prior to you know us getting into the rugby rabbit hole um, <laughs> was how South Florida is known for football, basketball, track, everything but rugby. So that's that's the mission of um, South Florida um, RFC. So it's we have such a big pool of athletes down here. So like that, that that's what the mission is pretty much to bring rugby to that pool of talent for, to give um, athletes an option that's not football or basketball or track because not everyone makes it you know to those sports at a, at the highest level. So that's yeah. I'm currently with um, South Florida. Um, it's I've been away from rugby for two years now since I graduated from FAU and it's been a long time coming, man. Um, I've been looking for a team for two years. So like I found the right match and yeah, things are going great. We're two games in. Um, we're still starting out. So it's a brand new team, um, division four, but we're working our way up to, you know, being competitive and being well known in the South Florida area to compete with the, you know, the best of the best, as they say. Glad you're back in action, man. And correct me if I'm wrong. I remember one day just scrolling through the page. So I was curious to see it. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is the club that Chris is involved in. Let me check it out on Insta. And is it either the, the founder or like one of the main guys on the team is the brother of the guy who runs uh, Gold Feet Global, right? Or, or Gold Feet for South Florida. Is, is, he, is he related to him? Is it his twin brother? Or what is it? I think his name's Tyree. Hi. Yeah, I don't know if they're like blood related, but they, they, they're definitely like they're associating with each other. I'm, I'm not sure to what extent. Um, I don't ask that much because I'm, I'm not sure what the relationship is, but for sure they're, um, yeah, they're um, associated. They gotcha. could be family, but I'm not sure. Because yeah. I remember I looked at the picture and I'm like, why does this guy look familiar? He looks like someone I uh, see on Instagram all the time. And I'm like, oh, you look a lot like this guy who does this football thing, like this this football, uh, like skill drills for wide receiver, defensive backs, and lacrosse players. He does a lot of different people. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. now I put the dots together. Yeah. It's very, very cool, man. Good mm -hmm. stuff. Kind of the last thing I want to talk about. So we talked a little about your background in rugby. I want to give the people some practical take-home advice if you're a coach and you are working with a rugby player, or maybe if you're interested in playing rugby and you want to get some – solid strength and conditioning advice. Let's kind of go through some ins and outs there. So from a conditioning standpoint, right? Cause that's a big part of the game. You gotta be in shape to some extent. Yes. There's yeah. tackles. Yes. There's, you know, there's other things where you have to exert force, but yeah. you gotta be in shape. So what are some conditioning advice you can give from a programming standpoint? Man, getting in shape for rugby is probably the most frustrating thing ever because you want to be in great in that aerobic shape you want to be able to run a mile without getting out of breath but at the same time that's not enough like you really need that short burst of speed and power yeah so it's 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 just really frustrating like do i just run a mile or do i just i don't know sprint all day and then not be able to keep up for 90 minutes so um the what I found doing like, you know, some research on like rugby conditioning and what has worked for me working with Damien was a good mix of both. So doing cardio, not necessarily by running a few miles or a few laps, but more um, giving yourself less rest breaks given certain workouts like AMRAPs or AMSAPs. Like you can, you know, do a variety of bodyweight workouts for, let's say, give yourself 15 minutes and do, you know, mixed pull-ups with squats or, um, 
any body weight movement that you want and give yourself 15 minutes, as many reps as possible, as many rounds as possible, no breaks. And that way you get your cardio and that way for the aerobic portion of it. But for the anaerobic, I found that rowing is actually like what most rugby players use to get in Really? Shape. Rowing? Like row, row, in, row intervals, sprinting, nice. like um, 100 meter sprints, then you take a rest, then keep doing that for a good 10, 20 minutes. Like that's what rowing or the airdyne. Um, oh my most, God, the assault uh, bike, man. <laughs> yeah, the assault bike. That, that's what most, uh, the top athletes, that's what they do. Um, yeah, like, but uh, it's the most frustrating experience ever, man, to get in shape for rugby. Because if you don't have the guidance, you really will be confused because you'll be in great, you know, aerobic condition, but you will get exhausted after a few series of just sprinting and cycling, getting back on your feet, head on the swivel, sprinting and tackling and you're not sprinting and tackling like small guys those are huge dads yeah you know, grown man you know so it's it's it can be frustrating without the proper guidance for sure yeah no i couldn't agree with you more and yeah just to make sure people don't think oh damien all you do is invite guests on you copy exactly what they say blah 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 listen you can ask chris we got our talking points but we did our own research i wasn't like yeah. hey chris here's what we're going to talk about for rugby we're going to talk no I let, cause I'm, I'm curious, maybe we have different perspectives and that'd be cool to go into. But again, like I've talked to other people with conditioning for rugby, I got to agree with Chris on this one. It's a very, this was the, I, I remember distinctly trying to program for you. Yes. I had to deal with the, the pain and getting you back to running portion, but for conditioning, I was trying to make it simple, but also taking consideration, like your position is very unique. Uh, your injury is very unique. Your mm -hmm. requirements of having an aerobic base, but also having power is unique. So writing that was, it was a bitch, man. But <laughs> I think I kind of came up and I used some, I'll make sure to put the, the links to the studies uh, in the description. Mm -hmm. There's some really cool studies that actually monitor uh, players. I forget what the term is exactly, but it's, it's a system in which they monitor players in terms of how much distance they cover by position through the course of a, of an 80 minute game and then what their speed is and they can break it down within time. So for example, in an 80 minute game, we could take for Chris's position, the eight man, and we can see, Oh, Chris or someone in his position is most likely to walk this much, trot this much, jog this much and sprint this much and break it down by average speed and amount of time spent on that in an 80 minute game, which mm -hmm. from a programming standpoint, like, that's just like, you know, treasure trove, man. It's like, oh my God, like you just gave me my work to rest ratio. You gave me everything. And they also did some good elaboration. Other sides were like, yes, it's true. 80 minutes is a long time. Like if you just hear the term sport for 80 minutes, that's an aerobic event. There, there's no getting around that. Yeah. And if you look at rugby, about 90 to 95% of time is either spent standing, like standing pretty much still, walking, or jogging. That's what you're doing 90 to 95% of the time in most games. Not, not talking about sevens. We're talking about 15s primarily here because sevens right. is a little different. Mm -hmm. But the most important part of the sport where action and ability to make plays and score and contest occurs within that 5 to 10%. So it's like, okay, the majority of the game is spent here but a vast portion of the important part of the game is spent here. So how do we reconcile those? And I think Chris illustrated it beautifully. It's like, 
you got to have some kind of aerobic base. That doesn't mean you have to run multiple miles, even though over the course of an 80 minute game, most athletes, depending on position, run anywhere from three to four miles or, or cover three to four miles. But that doesn't mean you have to be able to run four miles straight at a high pace. That just means you have to have like some base level of aerobic conditioning to where you're not going to get fatigued over the course. You also have to have that, what we might call like anaerobic endurance. Like I'm able to produce a crap ton of force in an extremely short amount of time and only go for about, you know, the average like distance per play was like 15 to 25 meters. So not very far and then stop and then walk and do it again and stop and do it again and change positions and just move in different directions. So acceleration is extraordinarily important, which is an anaerobic component of the sport. So the way that I kind of program, it's kind of a way that me and you worked is we had some like baseline conditioning. I know it would kind of do different things between like, you know, bikes or rowers or, or walk something that's going to get your heart rate at like a moderate intensity. And then we would have your sprint days because it was specific to your sport where it'd either be like, you know, a technical day focusing on sprint mechanics, or you're doing intervals where it's like, Hey, you're only sprinting for like six to 10 seconds. And you're taking like, you know, anywhere from a 30 to 60 second break, and you're going to repeat it for a certain amount of sets or time. So I think having those two components for a rugby player is extraordinarily important. And it makes the most sense because it is kind of encompassing of all three energy systems, those phosphogen, those glycolytic and those oxidative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Now let's move into resistance training. So, all right. So we got the conditioning down. We know kind of some good ideas, what we need there, a little bit of everything and, and specific work by position. What is some advice you would give programming wise for someone with lifting weights? What do we need to do? Yeah. So first things first, Google rugby player and pull up the <laughs> images. These dudes all look like sprinters, like class A Olympic sprinters. They may not move as well as a sprinter, but they look like a sprinter. So it's not just enough to, you know, be like having a bodybuilding approach towards your training because the muscle does help. Um, it's useful for like cushioning the hips because we, we don't wear padding. Um, some players do, but, you know, if you have some sort of, you know, hypertrophy, um, or like some form of muscle mass on you, it's really helpful. You know, you cover some bone, you know, you, <laughs> you absorb more hits, but it's not just enough to be big. You have to have functional strength. So power, I think, is honestly what you want to go for when it comes to resistance training. And yeah, just to be functionally strong. I mean, you can look big and be super stiff and not flexible, not one bit, and just have a really hard time playing rugby and just be not flexible. And like you, you, you don't want to be stiff, you know, as a rugby player. So a lot of functional strength is necessary. Um, like as far as exercises goes, um, definitely like your squats, your deadlifts, those will be your base exercises because when you are in that scrum, you are at a 90, 90 degree angle pushing as, as hard as you can pretty much. When you are standing and waiting for the place to move, you are in a linebacker stance, hit fat 90, might have some slight dorsiflexion there, but it's like you are like planted and ready to go. So your squats, your deadlifts, a lot of um, upper body pushing and pulling for sure. Um, your bench, your rows, um, your pull-ups are important. Um, as far as accessories, um, I mean, 
if that's your thing, that's fine, but it's not really necessary. Like bicep curls won't come in handy in a rugby game. You probably get it in your practice, right? Doing all the technical drills you guys do, you'd say? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And even like within that resistance training, there's a, like, you don't want to go to a point where you're pushing your body to, you know, injury where you can't recover quickly enough to be ready for, you know, practices and games. So it's, it's just a very, it's a, it's a fine line between, um, I don't know, pushing hard and just being smart about your programming. Load management, right? You got to push yourself. You got to, you got to stress yourself to adapt, but not to the point where you can't adequately recover and reap the benefits of it. So yeah, recovery is extremely important and and making sure the dosage is right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to echo pretty much the same thing. So when you're in kind of an off season, right, you can, like Chris said, you can take the time to build as much muscle mass as possible. If you, like you said, take the time to Google rugby player, some of the biggest legs, I mean, overall, they're just big human beings, but some of the biggest legs you'll see on an athlete and definitely developing, you know, large amounts of muscle mass, uh, will contribute to your ability to produce force. It isn't everything because we know strength is primarily a neuromuscular adaptation. Um, but we do know that having more muscle mass is definitely going to be beneficial for helping produce sport, uh, force in the sport. So you take the off season, you know, build up that base level of aerobic fitness or do the 30, 15 IFT test to see where you are, which I know Chris yeah. is so familiar with and loves, but, um, and then of course, you know, once you start getting more towards the season or, or in season, focusing more on strength and power. So in rugby, you have some unique strength components. There's isometric parts of the game. Yeah. There's a lot of aggressive pushing and pulling. So like Chris mentioned, you know, you can't go wrong with the basics of like bench press and rows, but then also incorporating some explosive movements, like maybe explosive chest passes or overhead med ball slams or overhead reverse tosses, because depending on the position and how you're working with your opponent, you might be pulling one second in a static hold and then immediately transition to a push. So having that ability to quickly transition to be explosive from very awkward and unusual positions is going to be key. And a good way to establish that is to get as strong as you can in foundational lifts and then develop some power using either medicine balls or maybe even some equipment that you might use for rugby, like tires or, or drills in your sport. That's going to get you ready for those scrums. It's going to get you ready for those tackles and those awkward angles that you might find yourself in. So yeah, yeah, strength and power are going to be key there. Just a quick side note, D Um, there's this thing called the Bronco test. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Bronco test, Uh but I think it became the gold standard for rugby conditioning, like the, the test that they do before the season. Okay. And it's basically similar to the AFT test where you set up a cone where it's like 20 meters, 40 meters and 60 meters. And the goal is to do basically suicides five times. So you do 120, 140, 160, come back 120, 140, 160, five times. And you have to get it done. I think the record is four minutes by the, uh, I think his name is Bowden Barrett. He's like a New Zealand rock star <laughs> of a rugby player. So that's probably the, like, it became the gold standard of um, rugby fitness testing. Gotcha. But, yeah, I've tried it. I am not trying it again. <laughs> the, the name kind of sounds sounds about accurate then, I would say, Bronco. Yeah. You'll have to send that to me because, yeah, I, I remember I was, I did a little bit of research. I was trying to find a way to get, once your hamstring got healthy, I was like, let's see if we can figure out a good way to get, like, base conditioning down or like a, a base conditioning mm-hmm. metric and 
you know, the IFT test, the 3015 IFT test, it isn't perfect, but it was the closest thing I could find to like, a, okay, maybe we can get a rough estimate of his, of his uh, base conditioning mm-hmm. for the sport. Cause it was, it was yeah. kind of, you know, it's, it was a lot of stop and start. It was a lot of change in direction yeah. and there was little rest time. So it seemed to mimic yeah. rugby quite well, but I'll definitely put that in the description for people. So thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of position considerations that you can think of that maybe like, you know, backs versus forwards or, you know, props versus locks, like when it comes to conditioning or strength or any like kind of keys that you found helpful as a player, or maybe like giving some advice to players that's like, Hey, these maybe exercises or this style of programming might be a little bit more beneficial for you. Yeah. So, um, for forwards, I definitely like as a forward, the reality is you're not expected to cover like 30 meters in any given time. Your job is to catch the ball and smash and get as much distance between you know your team and the other, the other team as possible. So forwards definitely hone in more on the like power aspect of your resistance training. And as far as conditioning, the anaerobic portion also is more beneficial, but you also need a really solid, solid aerobic base because if you can't last for the whole game, then how strong you are is, it doesn't even matter. If you can't mm-hmm. breathe enough to run somebody over it, then it doesn't matter how strong you are. So definitely, and for the backs, it's more, focus more, you don't have to be as strong, but you need to be fit and fast. Because once that ball gets kicked over, you, you expect it to chase and you have to be the guy that can burst outside quickly and maintain that pace for 15, 20, 30 meters to basically save the game sometimes if you have to. And uh, yeah, and the backs are pretty much at a disadvantage when it comes to um, big play potential, because if the other team has a bunch of studs who are fast and fit, you're expected to cover those guys. Mm-hmm. If they break off, you have to chase. Yeah. And you need to be in shape to chase and get back and do it again five, six, seven times. So for the backs, um, you don't necessarily have to focus on your hypertrophy training. Just be, make sure that you are and good aerobic shape, like tip top and anaerobic shape, as far as like conditioning goes and strength, focus more on your power exercises. Again, you want to be as strong and fit as a sprinter, but you should be able to cover like, I guess a corner or a linebacker as well, if that makes any sense. Not sure if I answered your question. I no, absolutely. Answer. Yeah, you have to, depending on your position, you have slightly different you know skills that might, be, you have to be able to do a little bit of everything still, despite your position, yeah. because you're, you're doing everything in the game. But depending on yeah. your position, you know, you might be more of a tackler versus a runner, and that's going to require different skill yeah. sets. So, no, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And that's a really good that's a really good way to segue because I was doing a little reading, and when it pertains to injury, you know, I, I actually didn't know this, which I found was interesting. The most common way in a couple sites I looked at for rugby players to get injured is initiating contact of a tackle. So being the tackler, not the tackled. So mm-hmm. I would think it's like, oh, it's got to be the person that's getting freaking just ran into. It's yeah. like, no, it's the person that's doing the hitting that gets injured the most. Yeah. About depending on the study or where, you know, what federation or amateur versus professional, it's roughly 40 to 84% of all injuries are yeah. happen on the person making the tackle. So I'm no expert in tackling. I'm not going to pretend like I am, but really make sure you're picking your coach's brain, picking your teammates' brains to keep yourself healthy. Because the last thing you want is you're trying to make a play when you have somewhat control of the situation because you're the one initiating the contact 
and then you get rolled up on or something awkward happens, or maybe you make an improper tackle with your space and then you end up out on committing, you know, trying to help the team. Um, and it's very common too. Like I know finger dislocations, sprains are very common. Like we were talking about with Chris earlier, um, yeah. nosebleeds are, are, you know, kind of just part of the game. Uh, Chris, when you were playing, what, what were like some of the common things you would, you would see with, you know, your team and your opponents that would happen? Yeah. So the most common thing that I've seen was at every game or every tournament I've played in, somebody had some kind of head bleed from trauma. Mm -hmm. So either, like you said, um, that poor tackling technique, because when you when you're tackling someone, the guy is coming at full pace and expecting to catch the ball. When they catch, it's just hit and go. So you're kind of a sitting duck waiting for that movement to happen. So they're at an advantage. So if you're not low enough, you can either catch a shoulder to the forehead or a knee to the nose to the mouth. So it's you know, a lot of head trauma for sure. Um, you have your knee injuries, which are very common because you have to plant a lot sometimes and mm -hmm. change, change directions. The guys that are not really like strong in their lower extremities, sometimes you'll see someone plant and get tackled and they don't have the I guess awareness to lower the center of gravity or roll to one side or the other, and then their leg plants and their body goes the opposite side, and then yep. you have your like your ACL tears, your LCL, MCL. So you have a lot of um, knee ligamentous injuries. Also, a lot of hands. Like people get stepped on a lot when you're uh. in the craziness of a scrum. Um, if your team is not strong enough physically, you can get bent back and pushed and will walk over you or if you have someone who's if there's an imbalance side in the scrum you can really mess up your back by keeping your neck in between someone's thighs squeezing in and then <laughs> trying to align your spine and you know retract and you know, get to 90. so there's a lot of um on like like something that, that you can't see happening like a lot of unforeseen injuries happen of course. Also, depending on the field you're playing, if you're playing on grass versus turf, turf burns are common. I've seen guys' skin just peel off where you just see just meat and like <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's in blood and it can be, um, yeah, it can be gruesome. But funny enough, a lot of muscle pulls. Exhibit A. Yeah. It's guys that are not in shape and try to do too much too soon they'll get a quick burst and then showboat or plant the wrong way or do too much and they just pull a muscle and cramps are very common as well if you're not very hydrated you mm -hmm. can catch a cramp again especially in south florida man you're losing liquids like crazy the heat is insane so you have 80 to 90 minutes of just consistent running and pounding so it's like cramping is big 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 um besides that like finger dislocations um finger like fractures breaks um i've seen guys like we always sometimes tape our ears in because you can get cauliflower ears from uh, okay. in the scrum because your head is, is so this is someone's thigh and someone else's thigh and sometimes you have to put your head in between right here and that <laughs> friction sometimes can you know like if you have two you know thick boys two big boys in front and you're just like yeah. okay i'm holding on for dear life and you're getting pushed back and getting sat down and you're yep. just like, well, I guess that's enough for me, you know? <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, Chris, the, for, the injuries vary, man. Yeah. For, for some people, I think, you know, the, the true 
you know, rugby people at heart or rugby people to be heard all of those wonderful descriptions. And they're like, that sounds like right up my alley. And then for others, it just confirmed like, yeah, yeah something I never need to try in my life. So <laughs> I think we kind of yeah. covered all bases with that one on the rugby recruiting session, but um, I want to be respectful of your time. It's actually, we're perfect. We're finishing because Chris has a, a big boy life at home. Going to spend some time with his wife, yeah. like the good man that he is. So we'll go ahead and let him get going. Chris, just want to say, Thank you so much, brother. It was so good seeing you. So good talking to you. Anything you want to plug, Insta, uh, where the people can find you, anything like that? Man, um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing special about my Instagram, but um, Chris underscore Noel 8, I think. I'm not too sure. Um, you can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but Chris Noel 8. And man, thank you for having me. This was fun. I know we haven't talked in a while. It's been some so time. This was been some time yeah. and yeah like i said everyone you know chris awesome person listen he's posting more rugby stuff now that he's playing a little bit more so <laughs> it's definitely worth checking it out and i'll make sure to put his uh handle down in the description as always you know where to find me instagram at the underscore shift underscore method head over to the shiftmethod.org if you want to check out any of the blogs any of the content we're making uh or if you're interested in training or getting some programming if you're an athlete out there I'd be more than happy to work with you. Go ahead, fill out a form. Just click any of the take action buttons. Fill out that Google form and I will contact you uh, within one business day. Other than that, everyone, that's it for the podcast. Chris, great talking to you, brother. Hope you have a wonderful day. Pleasure, and that's it, everyone. We will see y'all in the next one. Take care.